Friends, good morning. My name is Sam Eldersveld, <clears throat> and I'm a pastor here on staff. It is good to see you all. It is always a privilege to, to worship with you. We get to be here every single Sunday, and it's, it's a gift. And we believe that through this service, the Lord speaks to us, makes himself known to us, and, and through the word of God especially, we lift that up higher than any other, any other words. We believe that God's words through scripture guide us, correct us, and they breathe life into us. So that's why we spend time uh, with, with a message specifically every single week. I have my friend Clyde up here who's going to read the text for us in just a moment. Uh, we're continuing a series this morning uh, through, through First and Second Corinthians. And this series is called Images of God's Ministry. And today we're talking about the aroma of Christ. We get to learn from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And as a reminder, Paul is a missionary whose main focus is to go and preach the Gentiles, those that have no background of faith. And he goes and preaches to them that God has come to them in the form of Jesus and has died for them on the cross, saving them from their sins. And Paul has also helped start this church in Corinth. So he has a lot to say to them. He cares for them deeply. He knows them well. He probably considers them his own family. And this church is filled with Jewish people and Gentile people, and it's, it's most likely a majority of Gentile people as well. And by the time he's written this letter, he's been to Corinth, the city of Corinth, a few times, and he has sent some of his apprentices there. And we, we know of one of them through this text, Titus. And in this text, we're informed of Paul's travels on one of his missionary journeys. And he again gives the church another name. He calls the church the aroma of Christ. So with that, Clyde, take it away. From 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Clyde. So this morning, we only have five verses. Usually there's about 20 verses we're going through. So we have an opportunity to walk through each verse slowly and give each verse some recognition, which is always a good thing. So in verses 12 and 13, Paul mentions that when he went to Troas to preach the gospel, that he didn't have a peace of mind. So he went on to Macedonia. And something that's helpful for me, when I see cities in the text, I try to 
picture where these people are. So I'm going to show a picture of Paul's missionary journeys in uh, on the yellow line, you'll see Paul's second missionary journey. The, the green line is his third missionary journey. If you look in the center of the screen, you'll see the Aegean Sea. And just to the right of that, you see the city of Troas that is mentioned in this text. And after Paul goes to Troas, he goes a little northwest and he goes to the region of Macedonia, specifically the, the city of Philippi that you can see towards the top of the screen. So it's difficult to know which of these missionary journeys Paul is going on since he went from Troas to Macedonia a couple times, but this gives us a picture of of where he's going. When I look at this picture, I think about the level of dedication that Paul has to preaching to people that have never heard the good news of the gospel. These journeys are thousands of miles. And he's traveling by foot, by horseback, by, by boat. These travels are not easy by any means. They're very difficult, but yet Paul is dedicated. That doesn't stop him from continuing to go. Another fascinating thing about this picture is the route that Paul takes. If you were to take Roman roads, roads that were built by the Roman Empire, and overlap that with this picture, the routes that Paul is taking are, are on these roads that the Romans built themselves. Many of these roads that Paul is traveling on were were built by the Roman Empire that tried to destroy Jesus, that tried to destroy his people, his his followers. The same empire that was responsible for killing Jesus, where they, they tried to snuff out the flame that was Jesus and his followers, they actually helped spread the flame that continues to burn today because of the roads that they built. The Romans made it simple for Christians to go and tell the good news to people that had never heard it before. <clears throat> so that's where Paul traveled. That's, that's how he got there. But I want to talk about why he went to these specific places. He's not just going to places uh, wherever the wind goes. He's being directed to each specific spot he's going to. In Troas, Paul was doing exactly what the Lord was calling him to do. He was preaching to people. He was telling them the good news, people that have never heard about Jesus before. He was sharing the message of the gospel with them. That is a good thing, but yet Paul had no peace of mind for whatever reason in the city of Troas. It seemed like Paul had a pretty quick stop in Troas and he went on to the region of Macedonia. And the text tells us he didn't have a peace of mind because his friend Titus was there. And Titus was a fellow Christian, a friend of Paul, somebody who was learning from Paul. And most likely Titus was a person who hand-delivered one of these Corinthian letters to the church of Corinth. So Paul was, was learning, or excuse me, Titus was learning from Paul. He was an apprentice of Paul. And that's who Paul is mentioning in this text. We don't know exactly what Paul's plans were in Troas, but we do know that his plans changed because of an inner feeling of unrest that he had. Even though he was doing a good thing, he didn't have a peace of mind and that led to change in his life. Paul was constantly seeking the Lord's guidance and it was the Lord who was giving him the direction and where to go next. And even though Paul was being obedient to the life that God called him to, he was preaching to Gentiles 
doing exactly what God wanted, wanted him to, he had a feeling of unrest and that led to change in his life. It was the Lord who gave him unrest and it was the Lord who guided him to Macedonia. Have you ever had situations like this in your life where you feel like you're following Jesus well, you feel like you're listening to him well, but yet for whatever reason you have a sense of, of unrest, you do not have a peace of mind, whether that's with a friendship that you have, whether that's with where you're living, maybe that's a job that you have, you have a sense of unrest. Many times these inner feelings that we have that are out of the norm are ways that God is getting our attention. And if we pay attention to it, we can respond in faith and that will lead to, to better things happening. So in my own life, I've had plenty of times of unrest, even though at most times I seem like a peaceful person. But on the inside, I've, I've had unrest for several seasons. Um, and, and one of these seasons was uh, a few years after, co- after college, I was working at a church in Holland. Uh, Gretchen and I were recently married and uh, of, of course, after, after you get married, you think about, all right, where are we going to end up? Where's our home going to be? Especially our, our church community. And we never felt at peace about the church where I was working. I, I was doing good things. I was, I was a youth pastor working specifically with middle school students. I felt like my impact on the church was good, but yet I, I had a feeling of a lack of peace. And so from there... Gretchen and I prayed and we felt like God was calling me to go into full-time seminary. I had been taking part-time classes, so I did that. And we, we believed that the Lord would lead us to a place where we can dig down deep and grow roots and, and this is where the Lord has led us. And that's exactly what is happening and we love this place. And, and we believe that God planted us as missionaries. We live within a block from church, uh, right over here on Chamberlain. And so... Good things have happened as a result of us listening to this lack of peace within us. For Paul, what led him out of Troas was a feeling of unrest. And then he had this vision from the Lord that's, that's uh, explained to us in Acts 16. So let's read about this vision that Paul receives from the Lord. It says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Frisia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia, went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So originally, Paul didn't have a peace of mind. He thought about it. He stopped. He asked the Lord, what do I do? The Lord spoke to him clearly in a vision, and then he responded in faith. And what happens after responding in faith is incredible. Paul went to the region of Macedonia. He went to the city of Philippi and looking for a place of prayer, he found a group of women gathered and he preached to them. And one of these women named Lydia responded in faith. She responded and said, yes, I want to follow Jesus with my whole being. And because of that, her whole family was baptized. That's a huge deal. And that all happened because Paul 
listened to the Lord after his feeling of unrest within him. All that was a chain reaction to, to Paul saying, Lord, what is it you want from me? God speaks all the time to his church and most of the time, it's not like this vision. Most of the time, the Lord speaks to us uh, through whispers or speaks to us through a feeling that we have, through scripture, through a song. He doesn't just say in a loud booming voice, go this way or good decision. When we have these senses of unrest within us, that is God saying, all right, listen to me, I have something for you. So it's our role to pay attention to that and then respond in faith because we don't know what's gonna happen on the other side of that. We don't know who will be impacted for the better, who will come to know Jesus through our lives. In this passage, Paul transitions from saying that things didn't go the way as planned to saying thanks be to God. But not only that, Paul is claiming thankfulness that we are captives of Christ who's leading the triumphal procession. In most cases, in almost all cases, being a captive is not a good thing. You do not want to be a captive. You don't want to be in chains. You want freedom, of course. But yet, Paul is saying he, he enjoys the fact that he is a captive of Jesus, that he belongs to Jesus Christ. As God's people, we believe that we belong to him. We belong to Jesus. And that is exactly the best place to be. So that's where Paul is coming from and, and being joyful that we are captives, but we are captives to the one that we serve. And before getting to the fact that Paul claims that we smell good, that we are the aroma of Christ, he mentions a cultural term, a, a triumphal procession. Paul is really good at getting people's attention around him and he uses a, a Roman term to grab the attention of the Gentiles he's talking to and then he lifts up who Jesus is through that term. So he's talking about the Roman triumphal procession. What is that? So this happens when generals, when, when the leading commander of a Roman army would go out into battle and they would conquer a new land. They would defeat their enemy. And with that, they would take in all the materials of the land, they would take in all of the animals of the land and they would have captives. And they would come back and have a huge parade for sometimes two to three days. The whole city of Rome would stop and there was a parade. And it was, it was a really, really special thing because it didn't happen on a yearly basis. It only happened basically every 10, 15 years when Rome would conquer a new land. It wasn't like our, our typical 4th of July parade that we look forward to every year. So every triumphal procession was a huge deal for the whole city. And so there would, be, there would be literally exotic animals in this parade because people in Rome would, would be able to witness something new that this, this general had conquered. They would bring in all of the wealth of the land and they would bring in captives in this parade. So they would be following this, this general of the Roman army. And the main point of a Roman triumphal procession was the general of the army. The, the general, the commander wanted to show what he just conquered. He wanted to show what he just brought to his people. It was about him. And a person also would not want to be captive in this parade because Romans were known to not treat their captives well. And in many cases, they would execute their captives at the end of the parade. 
So here we have Paul claiming that Jesus is the leader in this triumphal procession and that we are his captives. But yet he, he talks about it in, in an emotion of thankfulness. Talk about taking a cultural term and flipping it on its head to get people's attention to who Jesus is. I want us to take a moment just to look at what a triumphal procession could have looked like. Of course, this is an artist's depiction. You'll see uh, the, the leading commander is not the one all dressed up in gear, but the leading commander is the one riding in the gold chariot with four horses. I want you to notice that it's in the, in the center of the city. Everyone around them is praising them for what they have done. The commander of the army at, at some points would have a slave, a captive that they had just con- conquered, <clears throat> right behind him holding up a halo, <clears throat> excuse me, signifying that this commander almost transcends to God-like status. So it was all about this commander. So keep that picture in mind. Now I want to compare the scene of Jesus going into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So this is happening outside of the city gates. Of course, there's not as many people. Some of the people are are praising and shouting. They're saying, Hosanna, thank you, King, for for leading us. Uh, Some people wanted Jesus to lead them into battle to defeat the Roman Empire. But notice how this artist depicts Jesus. He's not joyful like, like the general in the Roman army. He's weeping. He's weeping because the people around him think that he's going to lead them into battle and destroy the Roman army. He's weeping because they have no idea what he's about to go through over the next week. His disciples would leave him. He was going to feel alone on the cross. He was going to go through unbearable pain on the cross and even before him. So that's what Paul is leading us to in saying that Jesus is leading us and we are his captives. We want to follow a God like that, not a God like the one in the Roman picture. Jesus rode into town and he was greeted outside the city gates. He wears no elegant robe. Joy is not found in his eyes, but sadness. He weeps knowing what was going to happen to him over the next week. And he weeps because people want him to gain worldly power, yet he didn't come to gain worldly power. He came to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Paul follows the line about Jesus leading the triumphal procession by claiming that the church is the pleasing aroma of Christ. He calls a group of people an aroma, usually... When you talk about a group of people and you say, oh, there's an aroma around, you don't think that's a good thing. And me, I I hang out through work. I get to hang out with a lot of middle and high school boys. And uh, the aroma is not always the best around, especially especially winter camp when we're all packed into the same room for a couple days. But, But Paul's using a term aroma to really explain more depth as to what the church is and what the church is called to do. One of my favorite aromas, especially around this time of year, I love putting chicken, hamburgers on the grill and just let it sizzle and just take in all the, the beautiful fumes. It's, it's good for me, right? Uh, some of you might like going to uh, pick fresh strawberries or blueberries. You like the smell of a fresh cut grass. That is 
a pleasing aroma to you. That brings you joy. That puts you in a good mood. And the key about these aromas is that you have to be close to enjoy it. You can't just imagine it and receive the same kind of joy. On the flip side, if you, if you don't enjoy a certain smell and aroma, you stay away. You keep your distance. You can't simply change the smell of these things. Those aromas will always stay the same. And if a person doesn't like them, they simply don't go close to them. So think about God's people as an aroma. If we're following Jesus, if we're laying down our lives, if we're serving him with our whole being, we give off an aroma. And that aroma never changes. And that's an aroma that God is pleased with. And we don't change our aroma based off of other people's responses to it. We are obedient to Jesus and we're not obedient to human beings. So when people are around you as a follower of Jesus, hopefully you give off an aroma like the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. In following Jesus, your aroma won't change and the fact is not everyone will like it. Not everyone will love that you are a follower of Jesus, especially in today's world where if you say you're a Christian, that comes with way too many wrong assumptions. And in today's world where people don't like to give up control, to be obedient to a higher power. There are plenty of people in this world who think that Christians have an aroma of death, like what this passage says. Christians are not worth getting close to. They have have a boring or maybe even a repulsive lifestyle. And if you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully you've come across somebody that thinks you have an aroma of death. Because that means you are picking up your cross, you are are bearing it daily, you are living out a Jesus-like life in a world that does not claim to know him. Hopefully, people think you stink. Of course, you can bathe, you can shower, but I'm saying in terms of this passage, hopefully people think you have an aroma of death because we're in a world where not everyone believes in Jesus. So if there are people opposed to us, does that mean we have to change our aroma? Do we change who we are? Do we change our convictions based on people not liking us or not wanting to be around us? Absolutely not. If there is somebody or a group of people in our lives who are not receptive to faith and even unwelcoming to us as people, what do we do? Jesus gives the church a strategy found in Luke 10. We'll read a few verses from Luke 10. And in this passage, Jesus is sending out 72 disciples to preach the good news, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. He tells them what to do when they're welcomed and when they're unwelcomed. And here's what he says. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near We as God's people, we as the church, are sent out every single day. This passage is as much for us as it is for the 72 disciples that Jesus was sending out at this time. So if you're living out your faith and you are welcomed by a non-believer, Jesus says, stay there. 
essentially move into their lives, that person God is leading you to. Pray for them. Invite them into your home. Tell them about your faith in Jesus. And on the flip side, when you come across a non-believer and you're living out your faith and they are unwelcome, when they, when they think you have an aroma of death, Jesus says to walk away and wipe the dust off your feet. Now let me be clear, that doesn't mean disrespect this person. It doesn't mean to shun them, say I'm never going to talk to you. But maybe that person is meant to be shown the love of Jesus through another Christian or not you yourself. What Jesus is telling his people is that we won't always be received with open arms. So if somebody is unwelcoming, yet we continue to try to win them over for Jesus, we don't need to stay there. Somebody else will be on our path who will welcome us, who will receive faith in Jesus. Pray for that person or group of people that they would be open to receiving faith in Jesus no matter who makes that known to them. Sometimes it's not us. Paul ends this passage by saying, who is equal to such a task? Who is equal to the task of spreading the aroma of Christ everywhere, knowing that our aroma won't be received well by everyone? Simply put, there is no greater task than this, to pursue Jesus with all that we have in the midst of a world that does not know him. If you're a follower of Jesus, you understand the joy of receiving faith in Jesus, the joy of having an unquenchable fire within you because Jesus lives in you. How beautiful would it be for, for us to be a part of giving that to somebody else who does not have that currently? At Fifth Church, we are up to that task. We invite you into that adventure because it really is an adventure. And to God, the only one that matters, we do have a pleasing aroma. Thanks be to Jesus' work on the cross. So let's go spread the aroma of Jesus, not worried about who will or who will not like it. It's not our goal to please everyone with our aroma through our faith in Jesus, but to be obedient to the life that God has called us to. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you've given us this text, that you've, you've helped us remember that this life is not easy, but that the task that you have put before us is worth living for. Help us love you with our whole being. Help us give off an aroma that is welcoming that will lead others to choosing faith in you. Uh, and Lord, we, we pray all of these things in your precious name. Amen.